Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. So, Romans chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles." He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now... There is no more place for me to work in those regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of God's people there, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to have a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem." They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. 
So after I have completed the task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. I'd like to invite Lachlan to come up. Good morning, everybody. You know how a doctor has to hit you with the news? That would be harder to me as a doctor than having to learn all the medical stuff, to tell some family bad news. I don't think I could do that. This is actually not my words. This is a quote from a comedian, Brian Regan, who I recommend. He's a clean, good, funny comedian. He was on a talk show recently, and he said this, and it really impacted on me, and I thought, I can relate to that. The other guy on the talk show, he responded and said, well, of course, that's because you're in the smiles on faces business, not the smiles off faces business. It would be the opposite of his, enti- in his entire life as a comedian. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you have to give bad news? You think of uh, a way to bring a silver lining to it, or whichever way you slice it, though, the receiver uh, is not going to be happy with what you have to say. They're going to have a smile removed from their face rather than added to it. I know most of us have been in that situation. You know, I used to be paid to spread bad news. I, uh, nearly 10 years ago, I got my dream job as a reporter. I was a journalist for a major Murdoch newspaper. Um, but I realised quickly that good news doesn't sell newspapers. I'd regularly pitch heroic tales of people recovering from traumatic events, incredible feats by people in the aid of charity work. But the best they would be would be crammed into the middle of the newspaper in just a few pages between the cartoons and the weather report. The only stories that I ever pitched that made it, or that you'd ever see in the front pages of the newspaper back then were the tragic, the controversial, the catastrophic. They're the only ones that got the front pages. And the better I got at my job back then, the more I got I tried to to seek out those terrible stories. And as a somewhat naive, single-focused 20-something back then, I was a person that got excited when I heard that there was a major car accident. And I'm ashamed to admit that if I found out children were involved, I'd get more excited. And that that wasn't me. That wasn't who I wanted to be. Because I am more smiles on faces person. That's my DNA. I didn't like the cynical, evil person I was turning into, and it was turning me away from God. It was the opposite of my entire life. So I did leave that profession, and these days, during meetings at my current job, my boss um, will often comment on my points of view or summaries on things and say, there's that glass half full Lachlan again. And that is more me. I'm an optimist, I like to see the lighter side of life, and I tend to things, think that things generally work out. I take not taking myself seriously very seriously. 
So we're going through Romans at the moment. Uh, we're nearly at the end, uh, as, as uh, Hayden said. So we're in chapter 15 out of 16. Not on your newsletter, where it says Romans 25. I don't have that version in my Bible, but we're on Romans 15 today. Um, and last week, we covered Romans 14. And Ray um, brought the message, and he played sort of a bad cop role, which I know he's probably used to in his day job. He presented to us a portion of Paul's letter to the Romans where Paul sort of is intervening a little bit. He's, you can just imagine him sort of pushing two parties together, just saying, hey, come on, what's the matter with you? And then they cool down and they dust themselves off and then the good cop gets to come in, that's me. So today I get to play good cop. I get to say, hey, fellas, ladies, why can't we just get along? But before we get into it today, let's just dedicate this time to the Lord, shall we? Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can gather together in your name to dig into your word, to hear what you have to say to us today. May it be your words and your words only that ring in our ears today, Lord. We're expectant that you'll bring something fresh to our minds, you'll stir our hearts so we can serve you better in our world. Amen. Let's go through just a quick recap of last week. Um, it will help to have a little bit of context, I believe. Um, so at the start of today's passage, Paul's talking about two groups of people, we who are strong and those who are weak. And what does he mean here by strong and what does he mean by weak? Does he mean strong bodybuilders or marathon runners or superheroes or mothers? No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about what we read from last week in chapter 14, which Ray put a spotlight on for us, talking about a, a tension over essential and non-essential church issues or disputable matters. And just like in our church today and the church, thousands of churches around the globe, there are some Christians that are convicted that certain practices are wrong and they were labelled weak in conscience and didn't participate. Other Christians had freedom of conscience conscience to participate and were able to exercise some Christian liberty. Just a few verses from Romans 14, starting at verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. You who are to judge, who are you? to judge someone else's servant, to their own master, servant, stand or fall. Paul is encouraging the strong to bear with the failings of the weak because even if their point of view is irritating, even if you completely disagree, or even if it's hurtful, this is not a hill you want to die on. And from our text today, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. You want to dance? I'm just going to sit still. You want to wear shoes? Rowan's going to wear thongs. You can take that to the bank. But do we really need to worry about that? It's probably not going to affect our salvation, is it? But part of what I want, to think about, uh, want us to think about today is shouldn't we be striving to more than just tolerating each other? Do you think that's enough? I don't think that's enough. For example, if we disagree on whether or not women should be allowed to preach. 
Well, we should discuss that. We should ask each other to tell each other more and share our thoughts. Or if you're passionate about the Sabbath, if you refuse to work on the Sabbath, I'd love to know more about why you think that's so sacred. We can learn from each other. The church, it's just a beautiful tapestry of completely different people, but created in the image of the same God. We worship the same God, and we have the same vision for the same Jesus. Jesus said we should love our neighbor and our enemies. And that's easy for me because my next door neighbor was a home invader. He got dragged off by the cops in the middle of the night one night. So I tick off one, 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 two in one. I get to love my neighbor and my enemy at the same time. <laughs> Today is just a two pointer, two pointer sermon. And the first is put a smile on someone's face. Dot, dot, dot. Put a smile on someone's face, dot, dot, dot. Remember verse 2. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So don't just bear with each other, but build each other up. Encourage each other. Please each other to benefit one another. So we're talking about being in the smiles on faces businesses. But the smile we want to talk about today, it's not just superficial happiness. It's not just a shot of coffee to pep us up or a little SpongeBob Band-Aid on a gaping wound. I'm talking about a smile that says there is hope for us, encouragement that we will endure, a message that says don't give up. And we find this hope right in here, not in Romans 25, but we find this hope in the Bible. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. There's case study after case study after story after lesson in the Old Testament. I'd like to share a few. Abraham, he had faith in God's promise. He was 75 years old when he was promised a son and he waited 25 years for that to happen. He was 100 years old. We can be hopeful that God will always follow through on his promises. And Gideon, he was a wheat farmer. He was called by God to take a guerrilla team in the middle of the night and destroy an altar that had been built by the Israelites. And he, he did that. And then God also called him to defend Israel by leading an army to, to defeat the Midianites, to scare them off. And he had, he had a group of 1,000 men um, which wasn't a huge army back then. Um, so what does God do? Does he wave his magic wand and do the loaves and fishes and turn them into millions? No, he shows his sovereignty and he says, Gideon, just take a third of your guys. Take 30, 300, take 300. And they go out and they surround the camp and they just toot their horns. They blow trumpets as loud as they can. They freak out the enemy and they run away and they defeat the Midianites which is pretty clever stuff. So if God is for us, who can stand against us? As long as God is on our side, whether we've got 1,000 or 300 or 3 or 1, we have hope. In a similar situation with Daniel, he was a guy, had a plum job in the government, and he was getting a lot of good treatment because he was good at his work, and some of his colleagues were jealous, and they didn't like him. So they made a law that everyone had to worship his boss, King Darius, knowing that Daniel couldn't. Now Daniel continued to pray to the Lord. He opened the window so everyone could hear him. 
and ended up being punished by being locked in a cave with a hungry lion. The angels came and protected Daniel and then the king who loved the Lord too. He ended up throwing the other guys in with Simba who had a very large lunch that day. As Daniel emerged from that cave, he said, they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. If we live for him, we have hope in all situations. Just one more. We look at Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the holy city. The task was great. The workers were few and there were so many doubters. But anything in God's name can be done. And you just have to look at this church. Three years ago, 10 people, no ministries, Just look at where we are now. Look at what God's doing in this community. Paul uses the words endurance, encouragement, and hope. This translation, don't give up. God is in control and be encouraged. He will never give us more than we can handle. Yes, there will be trials, but because of his grace, we will endure. So this is great stuff, but Paul doesn't want us to just sit on it and just keep this hope for ourselves and be happy. This encouragement we have in God, we need to share it. This great news that makes us smile. Verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. My mother, who's full of wisdom, I have to say that because she's here today, mum and dad are here, which is very exciting, they drummed in to us the following advice before we spoke. It's something you may have heard before. You need to ask yourself, is what I'm about to say true? Is it kind? Is it really necessary? And I think she ripped off this from one of, another one of Paul's letters in the Ephesians, to the Ephesians. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. When I think of an encourager, I think of one of our elders here, Wayne. Yeah, buddy. I remember two years ago, I preached for the very first time. I never met Wayne before. And he came up to me before the service and he said he was looking forward to hearing me preach and how God was going to use me and all these really nice things from this stranger. And it could have been different. He could have said, I've been praying for you. I hope it goes okay. Don't stuff up. You must be nervous. I was very nervous. It was so positive, so encouraging. And it really helped me that day and helped me to minister to you guys. And since then, he's been one of the first to give me positive or encouraging or very constructive feedback on some things I'm involved with here at church in my ministry here. And one day he said something very profound. He said, Lachlan, I love the way you're always smiling. You're always happy to see me and with, with my great big grin and, and what have you. And that, that smile that Wayne sees and enjoys, he put that there. Wayne put that smile there. It's not an everyone's smile. That is a special smile for Wayne. Because when I see Wayne across the hall, I get a positive feeling. I know what's coming. He's going to encourage me. And that gives me endurance. That gives me the confidence not to give up. It blesses me, but it has so much more impact around the world because that smile goes with me wherever I go. And God's using it when Wayne's not around. Do you know what else makes me smile? I checked yesterday, church, and we had four, is it lunchtime? Might be more. We had four requests of prayer uh, over the week 
from our community uh, on the, our Follow Discipleship Facebook page. And more than 50 comments responding, saying that they were praying. That is awesome, guys. That is really cool. And our family has had some weak times over the past year um, during the birth of our child and some sickness. And one of the very first things that happens is someone from the church will offer us a meal. They'll put on a roster and we're fed for a week. And even something as simple as a home-cooked meal, it gives you the strength. It gives us the hope to keep going and not to give up. A big challenge comes from Paul in verse 3 when he talks about Jesus. He said, even Christ didn't please himself. He quotes Psalms saying, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. I read um, Dr. Jack Arnold, his articulation of Paul's meaning, uh, and I thought it was apt. He says, he being Jesus, never pleased himself, but always sought to do the will of the Father. He left heaven's glory, suffered the reproaches of men, died a horrible death because he loved sinners. He took no thought for himself and always put others first. Christ was not selfish since Christ loved and died for all who would trust him. Then we should love and please all our brothers in Christ, for we are one. Back Romans 12, it says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. Paul wants us to build each other up to bear with each other so we can be one unified church. If you think of someone in our church family that you want to give a smile to, back in the day, I think we might still do, we had encouragement cards um, over at the hub where you can fill it, write a note to someone uh, if you've felt encouraged by them or you want to encourage them. And I encourage you today to see if they're still there, number one, and if they are, Fill one out and just drop it in the... They are, there we go. Grab an encouragement card after church. I want us to run out and just write a note to someone. Put it in the red letterbox. It will find its way to them. Or if there's someone that's been on your heart and you've been praying for them, drop a Bible verse, just drop a note to say, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, God is with you. That would be awesome. So we're motoring through. You remember what point one was? Let me see if I can remember. Point one of the sermon. Put a smile on someone's face, dot, dot, dot. So that God can put a smile on someone's soul. For me, my personality, I consider myself an agent for smiles. I like to see people laugh. I like to be happy. I like the joy. You know, don't take myself too seriously. All of that. I'm in the business of wearing a smile on my face and I want to share that with others in different ways. But how much more does our Heavenly Father want to put a smile on our heart, a real proper smile, a beam on our soul? We're getting to a stage in this whole book of Romans where we're getting to the business end of what Paul is really wanting to say. We're reaching a crescendo of the letter because he's so far he's hammered out the true home, the true truth of the gospel. He's summarized it for us. He's given an account of that good news. He's laid down some hard truths and given some constructive criticisms. And now we come to the crux. Verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. To bring praise to God. Paul believes that once a church has the same attitude of mind, we tolerate, we encourage, we support, then we are unified as humans and we can bring glory to the same right and true God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus brings this all together. In verse 8 it says, Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises of the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God. I'm reminded of a story of a guy by the name of Fiorello LaGuardia. It's an exotic name, but he's a New Yorker. Back in the 30s, he was the mayor of New York during the worst part of the Great Depression and the whole of the Second World War. But he was known to be a colourful character. They call him the Little Flower because he was about four and a half feet tall and wore a big flower on his, on his jacket. And he'd always be out and about. He'd be on the New York City fire trucks. He'd raid the speakeasies with the police. He'd take entire orphanages to go see the Yankees. And whenever the New York papers were on strike, he'd go on the radio and read the Sunday funnies to the kids. And one very cold night in January of 1935, the mayor, he turned up at night court and served the poorest part of the city. So this is capitalism has fallen out from below itself. This is New York City. So this is the worst part of the city in the worst time in known history. And within a few minutes, he went there and he dismissed the judge and said, I'm going to take over. He took the bench. This tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband, he'd nicked off. Her daughter was sick. Her two grandchildren didn't have anything to eat. They were starving. But the shopkeeper, who, from whom the bread was stolen, he refused to drop the charges. He said, this is a really bad neighbourhood, Your Honour. She's got to be punished to teach everyone else in the area a lesson. And LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the lady and he said, I have to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. It's going to be 10 bucks or 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence, the mayor was reaching into his pocket, pulling out a tenner and putting it in his famous sombrero hat that he used to wear around. He said, here's the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everybody in this room 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. So Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. So $47.50 was turned over to this bewildered old lady, which is about $1,200 in today's term, which is more than a loaf of bread. This lady who'd stolen this bread to feed her family. And in the courtroom... Some 70 criminals, they stood alongside the New York City policeman and they gave the mayor a standing ovation and they paid 50 cents for the privilege. Now that's a good news story. That's the sort of story that I'd want to write. But these people that were witness to this and participated in this moment, they were outsiders. They were cast outs. They were the bottom of the barrel. You might say the scum of the city. These were people that were standing and cheering a man who will judge them and who has pardoned another woman and has brought true justice. Paul quotes 
prophecies from the Psalms, from Deuteronomy, and from Isaiah in verses 9 to 11, proclaiming that all the Gentiles will praise the Lord and sing praises to him with all people. And Gentiles, it basically means non-Jews, and some people use a term, outsiders. The very fact that our Creator loved us so much, and despite the fact that we rejected Him and deserved an eternal death, He came down from heaven to live among us. He tortured, and we tortured and killed Him, just so He could restore us from unrighteous to righteousness. This great news applies to outsiders, to insiders, to buttoned-up Christian soldiers, to hardened criminals. This freedom is for everyone. This gospel, this explosive good news is all Paul lives for. In verse 18 he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to somewhere else, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He's been everywhere, man. But the only thing he wants to celebrate is what God's doing. And I remember three, at our three-year birthday celebrations here at church, the focus, the spotlight was on the baptisms. It was on the new Christians. It was on the growing ministries. There are dozens and dozens of lives that have been rebranded as chosen and loved. And you might even be here at this church because someone handed you a sausage at the food van on a Tuesday night and spent an hour just listening to your story. The lives that he is changing in his name, we should boast about these things, church. We get really excited about what he's doing. I mean, I've got a headline for you that would probably make the front page of the Herald Sun today. 54-year-old man comes back from the dead after 40 years of vegetative state. That's a long headline that probably won't print. Can you imagine that? But that's what the sto- the, those stories are being written every day. This man, this 50-year-old man, he accepted the love of Jesus. He was dead to sin and is now alive in Christ. God is writing these stories all around the world every day, but he can't do it without us. Last week, we were challenged to accept one another. Whether we're liberal or not, as part of Christ's family. This week, I want to encourage you to hold dear to the hope we have in him, to build each other up, for his name to be agents of change in our community, bringing the best good news story the world has ever known. Does that sound okay? Can we do that? Yes. I want to close, and I will close, with Paul's words out of verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't forget to smile. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. 
If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.